So many of us are weighed down by vices, held back by burdens, defined by failures. In shame, our demons drive us into hiding. But God is the author of new stories. Unwriting endings, moving toward outcasts, finding failures, welcoming the unworthy. Experience the power of transforming grace, and God leads you beneath the waves. What is up? It is good to be here. When I was in high school, I got into snowboarding. And if you know me a little bit, when I get into something, like I get like really into it. So, so when I get into snowboarding in high school, we start riding it. And what we would do is we would show up before Meadows even opened. And we're like the first ones in the line. There's actually no line. We're just like standing there waiting. The lifts aren't even running. And the lifties would come out and they'd like have to warm it up. And we'd be like first chair every time. And then we were so serious about this that we would like pack sandwiches in our jackets because if you had to go in to eat lunch, that's runs that you don't get in on the mountain that day. So you're just like eating lunch like on the lift and then just like, no, I just got to ride. And then it would be like 10 o'clock at night and the lifties are like, all right guys, last run, no more. And we're like, dang it, 13 hours was just not enough. But you know what? We'll be back at it tomorrow. And it was day after day after day until like two weeks go by and your body's like breaking down, like even at that age, and you're just like, I can't like keep going and I have to sleep. But, but see, th- this has been like a continual thing in my life where, where some of the stuff I do just tends to be over the top, just a little bit much. And, and anybody who's asked me a question about uh, an area that I am passionate about has realized this because they got way more than they bargained for, whether it be theology or earthen building, and they're just like, whoa, like you're just a little over the top. And, and the prophet that we're going to look at here, he, he's a little over the top too, but in a slightly different way. Uh, th- this week we are in the book of Jonah. And it's this story about a prophet. And here's how it starts in Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fee, and went down into it to go with them from the presence of of the Lord. Now, just reading that, you might not realize, like, why is this over the top until you actually start looking at a map and a geography of what Jonah is doing, right? So, so Jonah gets this word, hey, you need to go to Nineveh. Now, now Jonah's a Hebrew, so he's living, he's an Israelite, right? Like, and so he's living on, like, the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, and he has to go down to Joppa. Now, Joppa is about 500 miles to the southwest of this great city, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, 500 miles. And so when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah saying, hey, you need to go to Nineveh and you need to to preach to them. He's like, screw that noise. I'm going the other way. And he goes 2,500 miles, tries to, across the Mediterranean Sea. Like, as far as you can. Like, this is like, uh, like to the ends of the known world at the time. Like, I am going to go to the ends of the earth not to go to this place. That's a little bit over the top, right? Uh, to, to give like a modern perspective or a perspective for us who live here, 
Gresham is just a little less than 500 miles away from Boise, Idaho. So it's like God's like, hey, like we, we got something for you in Boise, and you're like, nope. And you go to the coast, and you hop a boat, and you go to Hawaii, which is like 2,500 miles away from here. Like that's what it is like. And so Jonah is on this boat, and here's what God does. God hurls a gigantic storm on the Mediterranean. So gnarly that the boat itself is like breaking up and the sailors are scared for their lives. And these are not like inexperienced sailors. They do this all the time. It's not like they don't know how to run a boat. They've encountered storms before. They've been through it. But they're like, no, this is something different. This is something really big that is happening. So they start throwing all their cargo over. Like, this is their livelihood. But they're like, what good is a livelihood? What good is cash if I'm not alive to spend it? And so they're just like, jettison all that. Let's get rid of all that. And Meanwhile, where's Jonah? He's like asleep in the bottom of the boat. And you're like, dude, Jonah, what is going on? But it gets so crazy that all these sailors start crying out to whatever God that they serve, right? Whatever deity it is, and just crying to whatever deity they can, like, like someone has to save us. Like, we're stuck. We're in the ocean. We can't do anything. We have to. And it gets so bad, they're like, well, God, there's a God that must be mad at somebody on this boat. So it goes to the point where they start gambling. Check it out. Pick it up in verse 7. Each man said to his mate, come, Let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Right? They, they draw straws, they cast lots, and God in his sovereignty like shows them, yep, no, it's, it's my prophet Jonah who's running. This is why it's happening. And they're like, okay, who, who do you serve? Who's your God? Who's the deity you serve? Who are you? What's your job? All of this. And all Jonah responds is, I'm a Hebrew. This is my people. And I fear the Lord God who made the sea and the earth. You see the declaration that he makes? He's like, if there's, there's like all these fake deities that you guys serve, but I serve the one true God, the one true God that spoke the universe into existence, the creator of this very sea that we're on and about to drown in. And if there's anybody that has the power to do something about it, it's this God. And so the dudes get scared. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Man, do you realize what just happened there? Jonah's sin 
is putting more people in danger than just himself. His sin and his choices and the things that he's doing isn't just putting his own life on the line, but it's putting the life of these sailors on the line. That his sin is wreaking havoc on these people. And how often is this true of our own lives, right? How often is this true of our own lives that our sin creates a wake of collateral damage behind us? That the things that we choose to do and the ways that we live and and how we act towards people actually creates more damage than to just ourselves. That it's not just my choice, but it actually hurts our friendships and our families and the people that we work with. And it's so rough, right? Because our sin really does create a wake of collateral damage. I mean, think, think about all the things. And for us, each of us, it might be different. For, for one of us, it might be the lies that we just constantly tell. And that is just messing up those relationships. Maybe it's the constant substance abuse that is destroying everything around you. Maybe it's the daily porn habit that is messing with your mind and destroying your marriage and your kids. Maybe it's the constant outbursts of anger and your family is actually scared of you. Maybe it's working so much that you never have time to spend with anybody and the people that you should be having an impact on get neglected. Maybe it's the way you drive, and it's eventually going to hurt somebody or kill somebody. Maybe it's the laziness that we have, and everybody has to pick up the slack, whether at work or at home. Now, all these things are are hard to hear, right? They're they're hard to hear that that our sin creates damage, but but I'll tell you the message of the gospel, the message of of Jesus Christ is not to heap up shame upon us. It's not to heap up shame for our sin and the things that goes wrong. It's, It's to deal with the fact that there is sin and that there is grace to come. So let's check out Jonah. Let's look at the way that it works out for Jonah in this place. He said that I know on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Man, we we see God's power at work in this story, right? When when they do what Jonah, Jonah's like, I know what has to happen. And they follow through with that. God brings about the restoration. That it's God's power that quells the storm and calms the sea. And this is actually what needs to happen in each of our lives. That, That... when we create damage, what we need is a God who can mend the damage. And our God, Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, he he is the one who can actually mend the damage that we've done. But we need to be able to trust in him. 
And, and we know this from, from experience. If, if you go around this church, there are story after story after story. I have tons of them for myself. I have ones that I have walked through with people. And you can just ask, tell me about the stories about when you created damage in your life and you saw God bring the healing. And you will hear miracles. And you will hear amazing stories. And I dare you to ask those questions and, and hear those stories and be reminded of the powerful things that God does when he brings about grace and healing. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so these sailors in Jonah are saved by this great power of God. But, but we're still left hanging with Jonah because Jonah just got tossed into the ocean and like everything's calm, but it's like now he's going down to the depths and you know what God does? God, he, he's so funny and so creative. Like, like how cool is this? God causes a great fish to swallow him up. Like, like only God would think about that. Like, you know how I'm going to save Jonah? I'm going to have a fish swallow him, right? And so he gets swallowed up by this fish and then what we see for the next chapter is him singing out in worship, right? As he was going down to the depths, as the kelp was like, and the seaweed was wrapping around him, as his breath was almost gone, and God saves him in this crazy, miraculous way, he gets into the fish, and so he just starts to worship. Man, God, it's all about you. And he ends this worship song with a vow to actually fulfill what he said he was going to do. And he says, salvation is from the Lord. Man, how beautiful is that? And then the fish vomits him back up onto the land. And so now we're back where we started again, right? So chapter 3 is like the beginning all over again. Now the word of the Lord came to the came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown." If you didn't catch that, that is the worst sermon ever preached in all of history, right? Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he goes to preach, and he just says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It would be like me, I get a message from Jason saying, hey, you want to come preach on May 30th? And I'm like, yeah, Jason, I'll come preach. And then like, I like put on like my nice shirt that I never wear, and then I get like the little Britney Spears mic, and then I come out here after the bumper video, and I just say, wrath is coming for you. And that's it, we're done. Right, that's the worst sermon ever. And then notice also that this Nineveh, this is a massive city. Like I said, the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And it takes three days to walk through it. And he walks one day. What is going on here? And if, if you look at a lot of the commentaries and if you study this, the, a lot of what, what people will talk about is that Jonah's still being like partially disobedient here. That God called him to something and he's doing it partially. Right, He's doing it kind of halfway. He preaches half the message, just the wrath part and not the grace part. That he's only going to go through a third of the city. But can, 
That, that's likely right. But can I just proffer maybe another thought about what's happening here? Maybe another thought about what's happening here. What if this is the message that God wanted preached so that it wouldn't be a response to a really good sermon, but to God changing hearts? And so God gets the glory. Maybe. And maybe, maybe Jonah did intend to go preach through day two and day three. But maybe God stirred up something in the city that he didn't even have a chance. What if, what if Jonah starts preaching this message, and whether he meant to or not, like only, only preach part of the message, but what if he gets to the end of day one, he's tired as he's walking through the city, and he's preaching, and he goes to bed, and while he's asleep, all the message is going forth in the city without him. The neighbor is telling neighbor, and the news is spreading to the ends of Nineveh to the ends of Nineveh and it gets to the king and the king sends out his messengers and there's a proclamation and Jonah wakes up day two to go and be obedient and preach we don't know but maybe he gets up day two to preach and he doesn't even have to because everybody's already heard man that would give God glory and I think maybe in the timeline we actually see in the context that this is a possibility. Verse 5, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. The king doesn't hear about these types of things unless it's causing a great commotion. Right? Right? The king, if like three or four people are like scared of this guy's preaching and nobody else, like everybody's all like, oh, yeah, you're a quack, whatever. We don't care about what you say. Like, like the king doesn't hear about those kinds of things. But the king hears about what's going on because his whole city is getting flipped upside down. Right? God is doing something, and people are like, no, like something is happening, and we need to turn to this God right? We need to turn away from the things. And even the king's heart, when he hears it, is changed. And he's like, no, like everything has to change. Sackcloth, ashes, like people, like, like don't even let your animals eat. I don't know how you do that with a cow, like put a big muzzle on it or something. I don't know, but, but like whatever, like, like everything has to change because wrath is coming. And that's, we want something different. What's beautiful in Nineveh is that what's happening in this moment in time is the greatest example of a theological word that we like to use as Christians, right? You come into the church and you start hearing all these words that nobody, nobody ever uses in daily life, right? Like you, you hear about like propitiation and you're like, what is that? And like people like me are all like nerd out on it and, and all of that, right? But, but, but this word that we don't always use in daily life, I never used it at work and stuff, and it's to repent. 
to repent. What does that mean? Well, we see it fully exemplified for us here, that the Ninevites repented, because to repent means to turn away. It means that that you're oriented towards this, and you turn your back on it. But it actually means a little bit more than that, right? Because anytime you turn away from something, you have to turn towards something. I can't turn away from this without turning towards something else. So to repent truly means to turn away from one thing and turn towards another thing. And this is what the Ninevites do, is they turn away from their sin and their wickedness. But more importantly, they turn towards a God. And they don't know it yet, but this is a God of grace, a God of compassion. And they turn away from that and they turn towards him. And I say they don't know it yet because they're about to find out because they didn't grow up knowing the scriptures. They didn't grow up hearing about a God of loving kindness, abounding in grace. Right? They didn't hear about this God, but they're about to learn it. Verse 9, they say, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? Maybe, just maybe if we turn away from this stuff and orient towards God, maybe he will do something about it. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. The Ninevites experienced the grace of God on their lives. Man, this is an amazing thing. Can you just imagine how thankful and joyful that they are when like calamity does not come upon them, but grace and mercy. Man, the worship that must have happened in that city as a response. How cool is that? But, but, But sometimes when people receive mercy, we're not always happy about it. Maybe you're driving down Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard heading south, and you're in one lane, and a blue Nissan pickup just cuts you off, almost clips like the front of your vehicle, and then tears in front of another semi, and like weaves in and out, and like you're just like furious and mad, and then you see, and you're just like there's a police officer right there, but then you're just really upset because he's facing the wrong way and he didn't see any of it. And you're just like, dang it, that would have been sweet, sweet justice. It may have happened to me on Thursday. <laughs> this, this is Jonah's response too. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and it said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Man, Jonah 
didn't even want to go to Nineveh in the first place because he actually knew who this God was. Unlike the Ninevites, the Ninevites were like, maybe, just maybe God will relent. Jonah's like, no, I know exactly what God's going to do. I've grown up and I've heard about him. I've seen the way he works. I've seen the God of grace, right? I've seen the way his loving kindness plays out. And you know what's going to happen is I'm going to go to Nineveh and they're going to repent and God is going to give them grace and I don't want that for them and it would be better for me to die if that's what God's going to do. How messed up is this? How messed up is it for me to just want so much justice over blue Nissan guy? And the question that God asks to Jonah and he asks to me that I have to answer is, do you have good reason to be angry? And the answer is no. And the reason why the answer is no is because even if that guy in that truck deserves it, you know who deserves it first and more so is me. But God had grace on me. And how dare I condemn someone else when I've done crazy dangerous things driving in my life. And it's by God's grace that I even stand here alive today and not dead in a car wreck 20 years ago. So God's working on Jonah, too, in this moment. But let's bear with Jonah just a little bit. Let's see just a little bit of kind of his story. Because we have to understand that the Nineveh, this, this is the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was known for their violence and oppression. And his people, Jonah's people, the Hebrew people, likely underwent suffering upon suffering upon suffering because of the oppression of this empire. And we actually even see it in the text here that violence was such a big deal. Because when the king says, hey, we need to repent, we need to turn away from our wicked ways, you notice how he groups all the sins together? Like, let's turn away from our wicked ways and the violence which is in our hands, right? The violence was such a commonplace part of their society that that's the one sin that has to be specifically called out. And how likely it is that Jonah and his people underwent this. But it still doesn't make it right for Jonah to do this. And and so God is going to walk him through some stuff. God's going to bring some discipline for his prophet, which is a good thing. Just like when God disciplines us, it's a good thing. It may seem sorrowful and not pleasant at the time, but by the one who's been trained by it, it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 5, chapter 4. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, 
do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. You notice Jonah doesn't even answer him. He's just like mad. Just, yeah, I have good reason to be angry and doesn't even list it. Like how often do we do that kind of thing of like, but I just want to hold on to my anger. God says, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals? And that's the end of the book. What is going on? Right? If, if this is like a book, this is for sure not making any sort of New York Times bestsellers list, right? It's not even getting published because the document goes to the publisher and the publisher reads it and, like, where's the end? Like, you forgot the end. Like, it just stops there. We have no resolution. We don't know what happens with Jonah. We don't know if he responds to the discipline that God is walking him through. We don't see any more with the Ninevites. Like, what is going on? Why is this happening? Like, is is Jonah writing this down later, and, like, he just died in the middle of writing it? Or, like, he got writer's block? Nah. Because you know who actually writes scriptures? The Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit doesn't get writer's block. He ended it here on purpose. And if you notice where it ends, it doesn't end with Jonah for a reason. It ends with God. Because the book of Jonah isn't a story about a storm. It's not a story about some sailors. It's not a story about a prophet that gets eaten by a fish. And it's not a story about a great city that repents in sackcloth and ashes, and it's not a story about an angry prophet who cares more about a plant than people. It's a story about a God who has compassion, and that's why it ends on God's compassion. And all through the entire book, we see God's compassion over and over. We just see it with Jonah and realize that God's discipline is a form of compassion. It's actually a beautiful piece of compassion that God is patient with them. What does Jonah actually deserve when he judges these people like this and doesn't want compassion and just wants wrath? God is patient with him and walks him step by step. And he takes care of him. Man, that God is a God of compassion. You see what he does to the Ninevites? Even with everything that they've ever done, the violence and the blood that's been on their hands, he has compassion upon them. He even has compassion on these sailors, not just to save their physical lives, but if you go back to chapter 1 and you see what happens, it says, so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Even the sailors come into this beautiful, amazing relationship with a compassionate God. Our God is compassionate, loving, grace-filled God. And he has enough 
compassion not just for them, but for every single one of us. And it doesn't matter how far we've gone. It doesn't matter what damage we've wreaked in our lives from our sin. It does not matter the collateral damage that has happened around us from the choices that we've made. God has enough compassion for each one of us. And grace and the power to mend and to heal and to restore, that is our God. And he completed this work of compassion with Jesus Christ on the cross, his blood poured out so that we might be forgiven and his body broken, that we might be made whole. The the entire book of Jonah is about God's compassion. And it can actually be summed up with another verse in the Bible from Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And this is the call of the Lord today. This is the call of God today for us as we look at the book of Jonah, is that God is a God of compassion. And wherever you're at, whatever damage you've caused, whatever sins you've committed, wherever we are, God calls for repentance, to turn away from our sin and towards a God who has compassion and can heal. God calls for repentance. And repentance is not like, hey, let me turn away and get myself cleaned up and then God will accept me. No, it's just that, God, I realize this isn't worth it and you are and he does the work and he has compassion upon us. Can I just make the call, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your savior, if you have not felt and walk through and experience the compassion of God, can I invite you into that this morning? Can I invite you into that, that you would leave sin behind and you would look to Jesus on that cross and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. And he will save you and he will have compassion and grace upon you. But this message isn't just for those who need to meet Jesus for the first time today. This is a message for every single believer in the room, whether you got saved yesterday, last week, 10, 20, 30 years ago, is that there's still a call for repentance because we tend to forget and we turn away from this God and we turn towards sin. And the life of the Christian is a life of daily repentance. Here's how Martin Luther put it. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentant. And believer, is there sin that you need to turn away from and turn towards Jesus? God has compassion for you. He has compassion for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you repent. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you had compassion upon me once upon a time and you have it every day. God, I thank you 
that when I was running just like Jonah, running hard from you, and I was leaving a wake of destruction behind me, that you entered into my life and you flipped it upside down. And I pray that you would do that for somebody here today. That you would do that for somebody here this morning that does not know you. And you would show them your compassion and your grace. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in hearts this morning. And salvation would, be, would happen. And someone's life would be turned completely around. God, would you work in the hearts of the believers in this room? Would you help them to trust in you? Would you help me to trust in you and your compassion and your grace that you have for us so that we might be a city on a hill, the salt of the earth, and proclaim your compassion in this city? I pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, and your blood poured out for us on that cross.